Right, enough of that friendliness. Good morning, North family. Thank you for that unenthusiastic response. Good morning. Yeah. It's always good to be uh, with my people, with uh, our community, with my tribe. It's a blessing. Also, want to acknowledge. Uh, our extended family, of course, up in Novato. Uh, I do, do want to mention uh, Kevin is actually, and his wife Audie are down in Arizona expecting the birth of their first grandchild. Their daughter's about to give birth. We're very excited about that. My brother uh, Dwayne at Old Town, really excited about tomorrow night. That's going to be a raucous event and really impact a, a lot of the larger community. Would encourage you. If you haven't volunteered yet, it's not too late. Be great. I'm planning on snagging a couple of my grandkids if they're around, taking them because it's going to be a great, uh, great evening. Uh, I do want to acknowledge that our pastor Sean is actually uh, preaching at Tulare Street. So hello, Tulare Street, and it's uh, it's a blessing to uh, that our our senior pastor is there. Uh, and then in Selma, actually, Brandon, who is our Tulare Street campus pastor, is actually down in Selma preaching today. So I, I only mention that is because this is how God is working. I, I'm really excited because I get to spend time with our campus pastors, and there is a mutual affection for the Lord and for each other that's really beautiful to see. And we're actually eager to see everybody succeed, right? We're all pointing in the same direction and uh, working to accomplish the same mission. So it's really, really uh, a blessing. Now, uh, for those of you that aren't, maybe you're new to this family, I always feel like when I stand up on the platform these days that I have to preface before I even start preaching. Because I know I'm getting older, and they tell me as you get older, you get a little leakier. <laughs> in lots of ways. Some <laughs> But, you know, I was reading in... Yeah, sorry about that. Some, some of you don't appreciate that comment at all. I was reading in Jeremiah, and uh, he said, my, my grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. Listen to the weeping of my people. It can be heard across the land. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and I'm overcome with grief. And um, the truth be known, just total transparency. Uh, as many of you know, my wife, Jamie, and I are still neck deep in grief over the traumatic loss of our son, Jonah, uh, 200. 76 days ago. And so what I've discovered over the last nine months is I read the Bible differently. You know, life influences us and we begin to see the world. We see life through a different lens. And that's really what's happened. I'm, I can't help but the fact that I, I come to the, to the Bible now when I read it with a a really tender lens, you know, a grieving lens. And so stuff pops off the page that maybe didn't pop off the page before. And um, so I want to take you to a passage. You're going to understand how all this relates to, I'm picking up where Pastor Scott left off. We're doing a little two-week 
little mini-series picking up on the book of Acts, which we've done all year long, but it's been a while, and we're expecting you to catch up with us. And so I understand this is a a challenging assignment, but I, I come with a tender shepherd's heart, fully understanding that you have lives and you come here on Sunday morning, and please try to make it easy and low-hanging fruit for us and make sure the Bible is relatable, and, and, and that's really what we long to do. And I'm hoping that you'll come out of this morning seeing Paul's passion and heart for his own people, the Jews, his call. He was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles and see what's happening in this particular part of the story. Like, you'll understand it, okay? So if you would... Grab your Bible, electronic or paper, Acts 22. Acts chapter 22 is where we are, and I want to pick up at verse 21. That's not right where Scott left off. I kind of zoomed forward to kind of the right at the laser point of this story in Acts 22, verse 21. I'd like to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 22, starting at verse 21. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. But the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Just pause for a minute. What word? Can I hear a Gentile's? Okay, everything was going along fine until Paul said, Paul said, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled. They threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. Blasphemy, blasphemy. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. And when they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and asked, What are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went out and asked Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, But I am a citizen by birth. And the soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of His Word. Now again, you guys, you come on a Sunday morning. What was that all about? What is going on here? And I was thinking of a conversation I had recently with my my wife, Jamie. She loves reading novels. And we have a mutual podcast that we listen to someone that we really enjoy uh, their spiritual teaching and prayer navigation. And this uh, particular author and preacher and teacher mentioned, like, the, the, the best novel he's ever read. And all I know is Jamie ordered it, 
And it came, and the book is 750 pages long. Now, here's what I want to ask. How many of you women out there enjoy reading novels? Lots of hands. How many of you dudes out there enjoy reading novels? Yeah, like three of you. How many of you dudes out there enjoy ESPN? Okay, there we go. Jamie just reminded me, because I'm always curious how you can sort of have the discipline to stay with a 750-page book. And she said, you know, really part of it is just familiarizing yourself with the characters. You gotta, it takes a while to get familiar with the characters before you can see the interplay between the overarching arc or narrative of the story and once you get the characters, you start to understand the interplay, and it becomes very, very interesting. It reminded me of Philip in Acts 8 when he encountered the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch is up in his you know, deal, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip feel, feels compelled to come up, come up to the carriage and say, Do you understand what you're reading? And i got to tell you, a lot of times when I stand on this uh, platform, I realize, well, I'm super excited about what I have to share with you, and I've been meditating on it, and it's been in the slow cooker for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then you just come unsuspecting to all my excitement, and you're trying to put the pieces together. So let me offer to you, and this might perhaps what seems to be a kind of a, an obscure text, there's something here for all of us. There's something really important that God wants us to learn. First of all, let's get the context. Paul is on his third missionary journey. We're going to learn later. We're going to hear Paul's story. Paul was a, a zealous man, a zealous Jew. He was actually the number one persecutor of the church. He did not want this new emerging church to succeed until literally he got knocked off his horse, blinded, saved and called to be uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. It's like, you the man. You the man. I've got an assignment for you. And he, God told, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name, for my sake. And Paul got to suffer quite a bit to share the gospel and take it to the ends of the earth. And where we pick up here, Paul is in the temple. Jews from the province of Asia have come. They've stirred the crowd up because they're convinced that Paul is wrecking things. And if you remember last week in Pastor Scott's sermon, he talked about cancel culture. For those of you that were here, if you haven't heard the message, go back and listen to it. Really powerful message. And I really appreciate it, if nothing else, the fact that, yes, God came to cancel sin, not people. Amen? He came to cancel sin and not people. And here's the thing. I went away going, yeah, but make sure that people understand the, the, really the root of the story because who is canceling Paul? Okay? Some of you are going, what are you talking about? If you get into the story, what you realize right away, wait, wait, wait. The culture is not actually canceling Paul. The insiders, the religious leaders those that are really responsible to lead the synagogue and the temple, they're the ones that want to throw them out. Like, hey, you're ruining our way of life. 
Paul is being canceled, but he's being canceled by his own. And the leadership of those, the ones that should have been supporting him in the fulfillment of this mission that God had given him. So, because uh, uh, more than half the crowd raised their hands that they enjoy novels, I want to help us wrestle through some important questions that we need to answer this morning from this little part of the story. And that is, why is the crowd, the mob, so angry? Why are literally they shaking the dust off their ground? They're throwing their, like, this, this is blasphemy. He doesn't deserve to live. Why, why, why that kind of intense reaction? What's at stake? And then, how does Paul respond? How does Paul respond? That might be an indication for us how we respond to a lot of the, is there, is there an angry mob that exists in the world we live in today? Okay, and Paul, Paul might give us an in, inclination, some insight into how it would be best to respond to angry people. And then third, what is the application for my life? And does this seemingly obscure passage have anything to do with my life once I leave here and go to lunch? The first uh, point I'd like to make that really answers question one, and that is it's God's promise to the Jews, to Israel, and their subsequent rejection of Jesus. That's what's going on here. We have to go back to the book of beginnings in Genesis really to understand the the full sort of arc of the story and what's happening here. Because if you go back to Genesis 12, there was this man named Abram. And he was a foreigner that God called, and he said this to Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That sounds pretty universal, doesn't it? That sounds pretty expensive. God is speaking to Abram. Foreign or another country says, listen, I've called you out. I'm going to make you great and make you into a great nation. And through this nation, which eventually became Israel, the whole earth, all the people in the, in the world are going to be blessed through you. And by the way, church, we're an extension of that. Gentiles grafted in. You've heard that language before. Gentiles grafted in. By the way, why do I exist? I exist for the purpose of being a blessing to others. The life that God has entrusted to you, to me, is not so that I can be blessed. It's God said from Genesis 12, I want to bless you for the purpose of what? Blessing others. Through you I want the whole world, all the peoples of the earth, to be blessed. It's an incredible, incredible thought. Uh, Paul, later in Galatians, I I love how he clarified this when he he wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. He said this, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. 
What's more, the Scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. We're saved by grace through faith, right? We're saved by grace through faith. So, Mitch Still, thank you for your enthusiasm. I have no idea what's going on in the story. <laughs> Let me try to use uh, simple language. The gospel's success with the Gentiles was upsetting the Jewish apple cart. Okay, the people, God's people, were confused. Why? Because they did not recognize Jesus to be Yeshua. They did not acknowledge Him as God's gift, the Messiah, to the world. They missed it. And because of that, they become the, became the ones who were fighting most uh, just insanely against the gospel. Doing everything they could to thwart the movement of the gospel. Really, in essence, they were saying, those people are ruining our Jewish way of life. Why are you letting those people? Who are those people? Remember the word? Can I get a Gentile? Those people are ruining our way of life, and the instigator of it all is this dude named Paul. They saw Gentiles as outsiders is unwelcome. Really, in essence, what they're saying is, uh, Paul, you're trying to steal our church. You're trying to steal our temple, man. You're defiling our temple. You're upsetting everything we've known about our way of life. I remember many years ago, a friend of mine encouraged me. To, Gordon MacDonald is a literary author of mine, a pastor, a wonderful, godly man. And he wrote a book called, Who Stole My Church? Who Stole My Church? I, it's an older book. I'd encourage some of you to read it, especially if you're uh, 50 or older. Read the book. Here's why. Because here is a pastor's premise in his book. He's basically saying, look, younger people are going to steal your church and let them steal it. Maybe I need to repeat that. Younger people, are, it's going to feel like they're wanting to steal your church. And you know what he's saying? Let them steal it. That's why when I see all these young high schoolers up here praising the Lord, you know what I say? Praise God. Praise God. Right? Now, some of you are like, what are you talking about? Here's the, here's the nature of the church. The nature of the church. The nature of the church is we grow older and we age. And it's really about passing the faith on from one generation to the next. And it's really, as Jamie and I have discovered in ministry, there should come a time in our life where we are mature enough in our faith, conformed to the image of Christ, where we say, it doesn't matter what Sunday morning's like. It doesn't matter what it feels like. It doesn't matter even whether I like it. The only thing that matters is, is it reaching 
generation after generation after generation. That's what matters. Listen, part of the reason why we're a multi-site now is because there are some churches that over time have aged. That's not, that's, that's natural. And praise God, you know what this, this core group of congregations have said? We want to repurpose the church so that we can reach the next generation. They could have sat around in the halls on committees and said, they're trying to steal my church. They're trying to steal my church. But instead, they said, no, 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 no. Let's give it away. Let's make sure we're reaching the next generation. The, the, the bottom line is that nothing's changed. You know, we have a core value here called open acceptance. And some of you may not know, you know, really, s- s- simply stated, it's really put the welcome mat out. All are welcome. We have no concern or care for how you came into this building. And here's what I've found. I've been pastoring long enough. Oh, dude, dude uh, lightning bolts from heaven. You know, something bad will happen if I come in the building. Guess what? God is a little bigger than that. I think God can handle you. But we want to be a hospitable people. Remember what Jesus was accused of? One of the things that just incited just angry mobs against him was they said, this guy's a friend of sinners. Oh, no. Look at the people he hangs out with. Hey, here's the thing. How, how are we going to reach anyone that we're not in close proximity to? Two moving vans are almost blocking my street today. You know why? Because my next-door neighbor uh, sold his house, and we got new neighbors moving in. Guess who's going to meet those neighbors right away? Now, some of you are going, oh, I wish I could be there, a fly on the wall. You'd be surprised. I'm very gentle in my neighborhood. Because I don't want people to feel like, ooh, the pastor's chasing me. Okay? Because guess what? Jesus can do a lot better job of chasing people than I can. Now, why do I I really press into point one? Because I don't want us to miss this. It's really, really, what's happening here in this text is what so easily can happen in the church today. It's nothing, in some ways, everything's changed, but nothing's changed. If we're not careful, it becomes our thing. This is my church. I like it a certain way. I like the music a certain way. I like the preaching a certain way. And really, if we're conforming to the image of Christ, we should get to a point where we go, look, it's just I'm here. When I come on Sunday mornings, I come to be encouraged, inspired to go out and do the work again. I want the community of faith to gather all generations, and realize we're all pointing to and, and keeping our eyes fixed on one person, that's Jesus, who is the head of the church. And we want to keep pointing people to Him. Secondly, and you didn't even hear this in the text because I didn't read it because I couldn't read a whole chapter to you, but how does Paul respond? He shares his story. Let me, let me read for you just quickly in chapter 22, starting in verse 1. 
Because here it is. He gets the opportunity to address, address these people that are so vehemently against him. They're so angry at him. And he says this, Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. And when they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. It got their attention because he spoke in their language, Aramaic. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Every Jew knew the school of Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I've received, I, I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. You see what Paul's doing here? He's saying, hey, look, this is who I am, this is who I was. And then he turns the corner. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. And I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. This is all in Acts 9. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. And the people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus. And there you will be told everything you are to do. Here's the thing. Paul got an assignment. Paul got an assignment. And his assignment is, look, I've appointed you as an apostle to the Gentiles, and you're going to take the good news to regions of the world that haven't even heard the gospel yet. And I'm going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And you know how he did that? He did it primarily through his Roman citizenship, it was the culture that was actually protecting him and got him all the way to Rome. You read the rest of the book of Acts, and really what Paul is doing over and over again, he's, because of his love for his own people, he continues to risk his life to try to convince his own that they need to recognize Jesus as the Yeshua, the Messiah. He could have let it go and moved on to the Gentiles, but he couldn't because he loved his own people. In fact, so much so, he would write later in Romans chapter 9, he'd say these words, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Does that sound like somebody that's basically forgotten his people? He goes so far as to say, I would be willing to be cursed, cut off from Christ, if my people could come to know Jesus as Yeshua, the Messiah. It's very convicting. It's very convicting. 
The kind of, I mean, I, I think it forces us to ask, what kind of genuine compassion and care and love do we have for those that we know who don't know Christ yet? What, where would your passion meter be in your love for Christ and your love for the lost so much so that you would be willing to be cursed? I've read that verse many times and thought, wow, that, that's a man whose life has been transformed. That's a man who's not living for the things of earth anymore. That's a man that's got his eye on the prize. That's a man who's actually living for heaven. In fact, he wrote later in Philippians, he wrote this, For as often uh, I've told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? Because they, they set their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. The interesting thing is, Paul plays the Roman citizen card, right? I was born a citizen. And with that came some privileges that he exercised. But make no mistake about it. Ultimately, his citizenship, he was a citizen of heaven. He knew where his citizenship was, so much so that he was willing to go to any length cost and eventually sacrifice his own life for his call to the gospel. Um, if you read at the end, you can go to the end of Acts, Luke's you know, second volume, Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And here's what he says in, in the last chapter in the 28th verse. And I read it out of the message because it says so, so clearly. He says, you've had your chance. Luke is writing, the non-Jewish outsiders are next on the list. And believe me, they're going to receive it with open arms. Like, look, if the Jews aren't going to receive it, we're just going to keep taking the good news to people that will. And the Gentiles are going to receive it with open arms. The last thought from this story is just simply this. It's just a personal application, and that is, I think it's really, really important that we listen to the story of our lives. You know, all of us have a story, right? We have a story. We have a story that's continuing to unfold. And if we know God, it's, it's a God story. God is continuing to unfold His story in our lives. And Here's the thing. He invites all of us over and over again to listen. I'm, I'm writing a story, and I want you to live it, and I want you to share the beauty of your story with others. Why, why, why every time when I preach now do I always got to start with, hey, I'm a leaky pastor. I'm a, weeping, I'm a weeping pastor like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Because that's my story right now. It's the story that I'm living. When we sing these songs about God carrying us through the valley, right, that He's going to bring us through the valley. Like when I, when I uh, recite Psalm 23 now, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, that has a new meaning to me. Because although my son has died, I know it's the, val it's the valley of the shadow of death because of what Christ has done. 
It feels like death, but I know there's life in it. And so God walks me through it because He's going to walk me. He promises to walk me through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have a story. Paul had a story. And God gave him a unique assignment. And the crazy thing is, he was a unique dude because he had, he had all the credentials. He had the street cred with the Jews. Like he had all the right uh, 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 certificates on the wall. But he also had street cred with the Gentiles because he was the guy blazing the trail. He's like, I'm, I've been called by God to take this good news, this revelation of the gospel to those that will receive it, and they're going to receive it gladly. And I guess part of the way I'd like to wrap up this morning is just to encourage you. You know, God is going to use your story. He's going to use, uh, speaking of the 301 class, your shape, your shape your unique shape, your aptitude, your, your experiences, your, your gifting, your education, possibly even your city, citizenship like, like Paul. He's going to take all those things in a beautiful way to give you an assignment here on earth to carry out. And guess what? That's the invitation. We get to carry that out. We, God invites us into His story to live out our story in life-giving ways. And so hopefully our you know, little, little bracketed time frame here on a Sunday morning has helped you find your way into this text this morning that we read. Has helped you uh, maybe understand more fully the characters and what's really going on. And understand even more importantly its application for our life today. Listen, for those of us that have been following the Lord for a long time, let's encourage the next generation to steal our church. You, you know the reason my wife and I are. are generous, literally with our resources, because I care about how this church is going to reach this generation. I care about my grandkids that come to this church. I want them to have a church that lifts up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that they're going to get trained and equipped to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. That's why, that's why I want to throw everything I have into my assignment so that the next generation's I dedicated a child this morning. I was saying, I hope he's the next Mitch. Yeah. Well, that might <laughs> maybe better. Why not? God is raising up men and women all the time, giving dreams and visions to young men and old, like the whole thing. It's part of being the church. If you came today and you don't know Jesus, 
part of the tenderness of my heart is it's, it is hard for me to imagine how people do life without Jesus. And if you've been doing life without Jesus, it, it's hard. It's a hard life. And I'm going to give you an invitation and an opportunity this morning to receive the Savior that said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for I'll give you rest. And for those of you that know him, if you know him, let's go. It's time to get in the game. It's time to live our story. It's time to take everything that God's entrusted to us and be on mission every day. Let's pray.